and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and I am joined by the one and only Kathy Sedeo. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Marissa. Thank you for for, uh, joining us. So could you tell our listeners, as if you need an intro, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, my goodness. What do people want to know about me? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a professional animal trainer for goodness. Um, Going on plus 30 years, I started my uh, training career uh, working with marine mammals. So... um, Dolphins mostly in various settings. So at the University of Hawaii, teaching sign language to dolphins. That was my uh, master's degree work um, at the University of Hawaii. Uh, Then I got hired by the United States Navy to train dolphins for military work um, in, again, in Hawaii. And then was a staff biologist at Point Defiance Zoo and Aquarium in Tacoma, Washington, where I I still live. So worked there for um, about five years with their marine mammal collection. So the first decade of my training career, whales and walruses and dolphins, and then um, switched to training dogs and uh, working with uh, pet owners and their dogs. um, And I've been doing that for about 20 years. I'm an applied animal behaviorist now. My own business, Bright Spot Dog Training in Tacoma, Washington, focuses on helping uh, families resolve behavior problems with their pet dogs. And I also get the great privilege and pleasure of traveling to teach seminars and workshops to my training colleagues and to the general public across the United States and in a lot of foreign countries as well. So travel maybe about once a month to teach a workshop or seminar and the rest of the time uh, serving as a behavior consultant here in Western Washington. In today's episode, we'll be talking about a very important concept that can make an impact in these three areas. Number one, improving your dog's behavior. Number two, improving your behavior when interacting with your dog. And number three, enhancing your relationship with your canine companion. And it's easy. So this concept, and you've heard Kayla, Ursa, and myself talk about it a lot on this podcast, is called Plenty in Life is Free. We, we talk about Kathy. We link to Kathy all the time. Um, and Plenty of Life is Free, it may seem contrary to the ever-popular dog training concept, nothing in life is free. So Kathy, can you first tell us what the concept of nothing in life is free means and what that might look like between a dog and their pet parent? So there's different flavors of this sort of protocol of nothing in life is free. And I think what all those different versions of it have in common, kind of the name implies it. It would mean that the dog or any non-human animal, could be your cat or parrot as well, you're doing this with, but let's let's focus on dogs, um, wouldn't receive anything they value from you or even from their environment until they've um, responded to a command from you. Um, different versions might say, or responded to a cue from you. Let's, you know, let's use the broad word, let's say, signal from a human, often to sit. So different flavors have, could it be various behaviors that the dog does? Um, a lot of them focus on sit. So simplest version, your dog wants something from you, You ask them to sit and they have to comply before they get that piece of food, 
ear scratch, tennis ball, bit of love, um, leash on for a walk, Mm -hmm. freedom from the crate, anything that they value comes contingent on doing uh, behavior that you've requested. Again, often a sit. Yes. And there's a variety. What do you mean by a variety of flavors? So um, they come by different names. So I've heard it called say please or learn to earn Mm -hmm. or protocol for deference. Many of these um, protocols were um, sort of initiated by colleagues and people we really laud in our community. Um, Oh my goodness, Dr. Sophia Yin and um, Say Please and Dr. Karen Overall um, for Protocol for Deference. Mm -hmm. And and I don't want to speak for them, but I would put those protocols in this broader category of you're moderating your dog's general behavior and attitude towards you as human family members by having this procedure in place where they will defer to you before getting anything they might perceive as a reinforcer or comply with you or pay attention to you, that that's essential that the dog do this particular behavior in um, a fluent responsive, reliable kind of way before they get what they want. And that this would be a non-physical way to sort of assert your, I was going to use the word dominance, but these protocols would not use that word. I would use Mm -hmm. it, would assert your um, higher rank in the hierarchy than your dog. It's sort of keeping that rank order in place by saying, I'm the one, the human that gives you commands or cues. You're the one in the family that responds and then good things will happen for you. I'll pay you for that deference, compliance, politeness. Um, and that will keep everybody clear on the rank order in our family of who gets to give commands and who gets to sort of respond to commands. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. The word that keeps coming up for me is control. Yeah. Right. That like we're controlling all access to resources and I'm also controlling the behaviors that you offer in order to get those reinforcers. And I like what you say in terms that it's, you know, the, the protocols wouldn't have said dominance or assert control. They wouldn't have said that. But if we reflect on it, which you have, and that's, you know, your concept, plenty in life is free. Um, you know, you could really start to see and tease it apart and, and really feel that control over all the things. Right. And, and, and so I like that you say it, um, it, it really makes sure to keep everyone in line in terms of, the order of the house, right? Which doesn't really feel good when you really think about it. Absolutely. And so, you know, one of the chapter headings in um, my book, Plenty and Life is Free, is mm-hmm. doubt of control. Instead of out of control, doubt of control, meaning, mm-hmm. gosh, anyone with any animal with behavior issues, even minor ones, we all aspire to have better control. That's not the flaw. I I'd be out of business if I didn't help families get some control over Mm -hmm. dangerous, destructive behavior in their dogs. Mm -hmm. It's the way we go about it that I think sometimes we, we use our intuition 
uh, you've often heard it said, and gosh, I have too, that you know, animal training is common sense. Why do we spend so much time studying it and researching it and having podcasts about it? Like, isn't it common sense? And mm-hmm. you and I would both go, no, no. It's, it's actually the science is kind of counterintuitive. So if we want to get some control, we know, gosh, that's going to be about how we um, set up contingencies of consequences, especially rather than saying, I need you really to get in line and understand. Yeah. Not to say please every time any good thing happens, right? Uh, some of these protocols include any bit of love you would give your dog for the rest of their life. Comes under this umbrella of they must sit first. Wow. That, yeah. That's a lot. I saw you present at the Humane Society of Boulder Valley with uh, Dr. Susan Friedman. And I think you had mentioned something where some of your pet parents that you've interacted with were like, I don't, I can't even follow that because look at how stinking cute my dog is. And I got the dog because I want to share some companionship. And do I really have to ask it to sit before I, you know, or ask him to sit before I, uh, you know, give him that attention. And I, I, I love that you're encountering pet parents that are, don't want to do it. It, it, it's, it makes me feel good. And it makes me, um, it, you know, it, it very much validates the plenty in life is free approach, right? That, that people don't want to be that militant with their dogs. At least some of them don't. I, you know, years ago, and, and, and I have to say to you, I handed out nothing in life is free, um, you know, articles and handouts and checklists to yeah, my consultation clients for mm-hmm. years and years, literally mm-hmm. hundreds of times felt completely confident on thick ice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had no qualms about this for a long time. And I very much remember a client saying to me, gosh, it sticks in my head. This is a long time ago, saying to me, wait a minute, in our family, our our mornings start with a little process we call everybody loves everybody. And what happens is the dogs come up in our bed and our kids come up in our bed and we all kiss each other and love each other. And that's how our days start is we just all connect with each member of the family and say, I love you. Are you telling me we can't do that? Everybody loves everybody to start our day. Oh my gosh. And Marissa, I was speechless. I was absolutely <laughs> like, I want to first be adopted by your family. I know. And am I actually <laughs> telling them? This is wrong. Like, yeah. It was that first sort of crack in the in the veneer of this is a sound protocol. Like, yeah. oh no, I want you to go forth and have everybody learn to start their day that way, right? Oh my gosh. Oh, everybody loves everybody. I love that. That is so lovely. <laughs> and that actually brings us to our next question is sort of, you know, that was the crack in, oh, let's think about this protocol a bit more. When did you realize that nothing in life is free is just not the direction you wanted to send pet parents? I wish it was like this lovely one reflecting day. <laughs> on my, you know, like, I'm a smart person and I reflect on these things. Yeah, it was one super memorable day. And, you know, life is life is funny, right? Uh-huh. So it is the day that I, from a colleague and a friend, I very much respect, um, received this advice to me about my own problem dog. Mm-hmm. So I had called a colleague and a friend and a mentor to work with me for my own dog, Nick, who had come to me with a history of a bite history, clearly triggered by unfamiliar men. That was very straightforward. But Nick went on after we got some really good resolution on his um, fear and discomfort around men. He went on to bite 
two of my female friends he knew very well not bad bites, um, but I was completely confused. It was in my house. It was when we were having sort of a get together of friends. Anyway, I was flummoxed by where this aggression had come from. And in her effort to help me, uh, my colleague gave me nothing in life is free advice in my living room um, while I was sitting with my dog. And she said absolutely nothing different than I had said to dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of clients. Mm -hmm. And in the moment of hearing it at me, yeah, no, it just, it, it didn't work. It didn't answer the question. It didn't seem relevant to what was going on. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things Nick did, <laughs> sorry, I'm having a, I'm having a flashback, um, to thank my, my friend for, for doing this kindness to me. I had invited her to my house for lunch. And one of the things I did is I had gotten some really good soup from the deli and I dished out our soup and I put it on the coffee table in my living room, which of course mm-hmm. I don't eat meals off the coffee table in the living room. So when I went into the kitchen to get, I don't know, the rolls that went with it, uh, Nick in her presence stuck his tongue once in my soup bowl or her soup bowl, right? He just, he saw soup on a, yeah. like a low table. He yeah. put his tongue in the soup, right? Perfectly reasonable thing for him to do. Absolutely. <laughs> like not trained to stay away from food on the coffee table, whatever. Um, and so in the diagnosis of his aggression problem, one of the things she said is how, how dare he, put his tongue, like he tasted the soup. Like that's absolutely not okay. That's part of the, he's used to just sort of getting stuff for free and you've got to need to get some control over that. And I just got to tell you, Marissa, at the moment, I'm like, what does eating soup have to, so another friend of mine, when I was like venting to her going, oh my God, my dog embarrassed me and it was just awful. And so we (laughs) we termed it the the soup aggression incident. So you know how there's like maternal aggression and defensive aggression. (laughs) We we just added another category, which is soup aggression. Um, It just, it didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel like an answer to what was going on. Little Mm -hmm. footnote, another colleague of mine, um, a veterinarian who specializes in behavior, I also asked her to sit down and go over the Nick's sort of history with me and what had happened with those women. And her question to me was 180 degrees different than a nothing in life is free protocol to resolve what was still a problem with Nick's behavior. And she said to me, what was different about what had happened Mm -hmm. in those two situations? Let's go through all the details. And her good detective work made me realize my friends, my female friends, had each had a glass of wine before this happened. I mean, so he was fine with them until they smelled like alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick had been a street dog for a long time. I don't know his past, but can I put together a learning history that says people who smell like alcohol um, are more dangerous, might be a threat to you on the streets. Then that's just another way of going. His behavior is functional. It's keeping mm-hmm. away people who familiar or not now smell it threatening. Yeah. It was a different strategy for a solution then make him earn every good thing. It was actually a really funny desensitization and counter conditioning protocol because my friends had to come over and drink. And drink wine. Yeah, it was great. It was really a great uh, rehab for him. People signed up for that. They're like, yay. Yeah, because you can never get people to come or at least with my clients, I have such a hard time right. getting people coming over during those yes. protocols. I always am like, just share a beer, share beers with them or get whatever they love or find their reinforcers. Actually, in this case, the liquor was required. required. (laughs) So that actually, that approach did resolve things and that was great, but it was in the moment of hearing what I had said to people and just realizing it's well-intentioned, it's fairly benign, Uh benign in contrast to the egregiously physical dominance protocols we'd inherited 20, 30 years ago. So it was a huge improvement from alpha rolls and scruff shakes and muzzle holding. But 
I don't think it's benign psychologically. And so hearing that well-intentioned, I was grateful to my friend, advice given to me, I realized I didn't think it was helping people in the way we hoped it would. Yes. And when you said the word benign at your seminar um, back in December, that really, that word, you're like, this is not benign. That word landed so hard with me. Cause I was like, wow, yeah, it's not, it could be this, it's dressed up as this, well, here's just a protocol. It's super easy. Have them sit before you Absolutely. give them a meal. It's so lighthearted, but then Absolutely. when you actually think about it and you think about what it could do relationally with our dogs and how Absolutely. it gives us this false sense of control. Yeah. It just, that word really hit home. So I, I appreciate using it again because it, it, it very much is not benign. And this is the pushback I sometimes get from colleagues, which is of all the work we have to do as mm. trainers, like, why are you picking at this yeah. little thing? There's bigger games sort of, to, you know what I mean? In yeah. terms of problems in our profession. And I don't think that's true. I think this underlies a lot of broken relationships um, come from this protocol. And, you know, the other piece when, when it was, not just hearing sort of advice about Nick's um, behavioral rehabilitation. There was something that had been eating at me for a very long time, and it touches on my own spirituality. And that's why the word grace is in the title of this book. And, mm -hmm. you know, without going too much into the spirituality route, how do I so deeply believe that I'm loved by the divine creator uncontingently, unconditionally, mm -hmm. love precedes anything I do. And it's not contingent on my behavior. God doesn't love me because I'm good. God loves me because God is good. And if that's true, if I believe that, I come up into a very uncomfortable place when I say, oh, but my family members, the four-legged ones at this point, I think we might talk about the two-legged ones as well. But mm -hmm. if I say, no, 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 their love is contingent. Yeah. I don't even know what contingent love means. I don't think it's love then. It's some other thing. And so for a while, what I said is, oh yeah, divine grace is for humans and non-human animals are different. And that didn't last long because that divide to me is completely artificial. That didn't make any sense. Yeah. So the cognitive dissonance that sort of came from grace, unearned love, um, not contingent on your own good, obedient behavior. I don't know. That also really fed into my saying, I need there to be some integrity in the professional work I do and in my spiritual commitments, you know, convictions. They mm -hmm. need to be have more integrity or I am really creating an uncomfortable life for myself or I'm not living out my deepest beliefs, right? Yeah. So, well, good for you. I mean, good for you for doing that because not many people, you know, they will just stick to what is appropriate, what is the protocol, and they might have that cognitive dissonance and that, re and that resistance, and they don't make that shift. And so, I mean, if th there are a lot of other people, you know, striving to make things better, this is your area and this area feels really resonant to you and you're doing a beautiful job, you know, striving for that. So... Thank so, you. Yeah. It's funny too. I, I didn't aspire to write a book, but this was so itchy inside me when all this was sort of percolating. Mm -hmm. I mean, you understand writing a book. It's, it's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're an author. And so the, the book came because I'm like, oh, this is screaming to get out yeah. and to put all these sort of threads, tie them together and go, does this make sense? And are there alternatives? Because we don't just say, Oh, that protocol, maybe we could um, like, like put that aside. There's a better way to do it, but we better talk about better ways as well. So not just 
we, you and I, we don't just remove behavior. That is the, not the long-term solution to anything. We've got yeah. to create some behavioral habits. Yeah. Right. So it's good that it sort of led me to say, if that's not true, if that's not our richest way to develop some good habits in our pet parents, um, what would be a better way to get the message across? Because the underlying message of, in Nothing in Life is Free, if it's the piece that says, what is wrong with having a dog be fluent at sitting? I don't have a problem with a dog being fluent at sitting. Mm-hmm. It's the backstory of how we get there and the, the sort of straitjacket. It puts the humans in, in terms of free-flowing, spontaneous, joyous relationships with everybody in their family, including the dogs. We overstate this need for hierarchy in dogs to the point where we lose the joy of what they bring into our lives, which is this behaviorally sophisticated, flexible, opportunistic, creative, quirky animal we get to live with. I don't want to lose any of that Mm -hmm. under the auspice of at least I'm in control. I think there are lots of families who have control over their dogs and, and the cost is ginormous. I would mm-hmm. say what they end up with is a very pale replica of what you and I would say is a dog, right? So you yes. lose so much of the behavioral repertoire if you swing too far toward that. I need you to be obedient and responsive to me. And that's my, my main priority. Yeah, the, the responsiveness is important. But I think we can get there in another way without sort of having so many side effects. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of us having relationships with our dogs, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I will work on changing the dog's behavior and then the relationship with the human, but you know, the relationship between the pet parent and the dog will improve because the dog's behavior has changed. And I agree with that approach, but I, I really resonate with the approach of actually, you know, unpacking some of the the philosophical approach that the pet owner has, because the way in which they're thinking about their animal, the way in which they're making up a bunch of of stories that impacts how they're behaving. And that's going to be positive or negative for that animal. And that's exactly what this is doing, right? Is saying, let's shift your perspective. Let's shift what you're doing. Instead of doing nothing in life is free. Let's do plenty in life is free. And it just shifts not only their perspective, but also their behavior, which is ultimately going to shift their dog's behavior. So I just, I love that you have given them something else to do. There um, needs to be a story, right? Yeah. It doesn't work unless there's a story that holds yeah. it together. Uh, it's been my experience, right? Yeah, and so, totally true. Yay, you want a story, but I think we need to change that paradigm just not only in our own clients and students, but that general view is, I'm most mm-hmm. familiar with in the United States mm-hmm. of, what a dog is and what their place in our family is. For me, I really feel like dogs are a blessing that allow us to do this. I couldn't come up with quite the right term in the book, but I feel like it's like a laboratory experiment or like a paint by numbers kit where you go, I'm not yet good at painting. I need it to be a really easier version of what's a different way to create a bond and a relationship. I feel like dogs signed up to go, hey, here we are. So you can do some practice in what it would look like to not have to be the boss or the alpha or in charge or mm-hmm. commander or all those things we do in our workplaces and our families mm-hmm. and our, to try to keep it all together. 
I want control as well. There's nothing wrong with that. It's how you go about it. And the ultimate control comes by giving some freedom and choices and autonomy mm-hmm. and agency to the person you're having a relationship with, which seems crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But it isn't. It's yeah. the ultimate way to get buy-in and actual cooperation, which is what we're after in the long run, right? Yeah. I don't know. To me, it's been revolutionary to be able to talk to my clients with different language and still help them do effective training and get results. None of that has changed, but I think we've lost some of the sort of alpha baggage that comes with nothing in life is free. Hey guys, it's Kayla here from Journey Dog Training, dropping into the episode to tell you a bit more about what I offer here at Journey Dog Training. Aside from free resources like this podcast, my blog, and my YouTube channel, I offer low-cost behavior help in the form of ebooks and webinars to listeners like you. On journeydogtraining.com right now, you can find a webinar on how to prepare your dog for when you're expecting a new baby, and how to help your dog survive thunderstorms and fireworks. Both webinars are only $10. If you're more of a verbal learner, we've got three ebooks available one on separation anxiety, another on aggression, and a third on overexcited greeters. All of those ebooks are under $20. If you use the code CONVERSATION at checkout on journeydogtraining.com, you'll get 20% off of your order. Kathy has been talking about her fabulous book. Um, and many years ago, I went on my first backpacking trip with Sully in California and took her book with me. And I, I remember I sent you an email like, can you come speak at the East Bay SPCA? This is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and you were like, you brought my book on a backpacking trip? Like, <laughs> like what? How did you carry the extra weight? I'm like, no, it was worth it. <laughs> that so, is a good testimonial. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely worth it. Especially I'm on a backpacking trip with my, a solo trip with my dog. It was like right. just the most beautiful experience. So, um, so can you tell our listeners, we've been talking about plenty and life is free. So what does that mean? The, the way that I explain it to my clients, and I, I always joke that I have like no AV equipment in my office other than a big whiteboard. So I'm very likely, if you come to see me as a consultation client, to draw one word on that whiteboard and big marker, and it, the word is smart. So to be able mm-hmm. to say to my clients, you know, my background is in the science of learning, and you're coming to see me for a very practical reason. But in your coming to see me today, I want to convey a bit of the science to you because it's going to help our training be more effective. But I'm really going to strip all that science down to one word. Here's what it is I'd like to facilitate in you and the other humans in your family. Here are the behaviors I want to encourage, foster, strengthen in the humans. And so SMART is going to stand for seeing and marking and reinforcing. See, mark, and reinforce training. Those three behaviors, uh, observing what your animal is doing, that's the Mm seeing, which you know, Marissa really should be sensing because it's not just through vision that we observe behavior. I am fortunate enough to work with some blind clients and I'm using seeing in the most general sense of using all your senses to observe your dog's behavior. Mm -hmm. Marking, pointing out to your dog, your learner, what it is they're doing correctly. 
we can mark behavior in different ways. People know that dog trainers often use a clicker to do that or a word like yes or good or a thumbs up. There is a way that the human is saying to that dog, that's what I like. It's as if you're taking a photo of the instant of your dog doing any behavior that you can live with actually or beyond that like. Um, you're noticing the behavior, you're marking it. In other words, letting the animal know that you've noticed a behavior, and then you're reinforcing it, that way that we deliver things that the animal values to mm -hmm. make that behavior stronger. Often the reinforcer is a little bit of food. By far, I think that's the easiest way for people to get started in smart seeing marking and reinforcing is by delivering a little piece of food. It's not the only reinforcer we have, but man, it's effective and convenient. And once we get in the habit of using some of the dog's daily calories in this sort of smart protocol, I think it becomes an easy way to get in the habit of doing this C mark and reinforce repetitions. So it's interesting that what I'm asking the humans to do basically is to create some habits in themselves. Mm -hmm. And let's make that as easy as possible to do what you and I, Marissa, know is at the heart of all behavior change repetitions. There's no yep. way around habit creation needs repetitions. Um, and so I'm going to say to folks, if you have an animal with some behavior issues, I'm shooting for 50 repetitions of seeing, marking, and reinforcing some decent behavior in that animal every day. Um, I'm wearing a Fitbit right now and it's counting my steps. I got in a nice long walk this morning, so I'm already at 11,000. Woohoo! I can be lazy the rest of the day. But that little thing I'm wearing on my wrist is helping me track steps, which is a nice baseline for my physical health. It's not the whole thing, but it's a nice way to keep score on myself. What is that Fitbit doing? helping me get in the habit of taking more steps each day. That's huge mm -hmm. for my, my own physical health. What's going to be a huge foundational change for families in, in their dog's behavioral habits? It is getting in the habit of being a generous, consistent, frequent reinforcer. So think that delivering this information in an easy acronym and in a way I can help clients decide how they're going to get in those 50 reps every day, that conversation, which food, when, where, how, which behaviors are you taking pictures of with your clicker, all of these conversations are rich and productive and exactly what I want to be talking to my clients about. When I introduce this, this concept, I usually talk about um, marking the choices that the dog is already doing. Yeah. And we get into this really awesome conversation about, they're like, no, 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 he's not doing any good behaviors. And you're like, well, actually, well, I'm going to show you, like, I'm going to demonstrate right now. And then I get like 10 in really quick, right? And, and they're so amazed that their that their dog is making good choices, and then they they almost have this moment where like wow I I'm I, they have this moment of like sadness like I I'm 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 waiting for the poor choice, and I'm missing all of the good choices. So do you like do they have some sadness around this concept? Yes. Do you get do you get some pushback from them? Like what comes up for these pet parents when you're talking about this? You know what I concept? think is surprising to me, and I, I really like doing this with new clients. Like I like going, let me shine some light over here, which is like the light I've learned from all the giants whose shoulders I stand on, right? This is not me, uh -huh. the scientist discovering. It's like, 
generations of scientists before us that have said, hello, this is the way to do it. And so you and I yeah. get to sort of go, Let, let's shine the light over here. And pet parents, here's, the, here's one of the big things that happens. They go, but you're not saying anything. You're not telling yes. them oh what to God. do. And you're <laughs> like, I know. We don't even have to. We just get to watch and take a picture with your clicker of anything that's not annoying you or dangerous. It doesn't even have to be brilliant behavior, just like anything. And they're like, wait, what? Like, you're not commanding. The dog isn't being stubborn. How is the dog going to know what to do if you're not telling them? Those questions are all like, yay, exactly the conversation we want to have. You don't have to say a word. You just have to watch. And it frees you up to go ahead and reinforce behaviors you would otherwise not have noticed because they don't have names because they're not in that canine good citizenship list of 10 things any good dog would do. They're little things. They're, the dog lifted its right paw. You're like, that's cute. Wiggled its ear. I'll click that. You have the freedom to be able to reinforce a wider mm-hmm. range of small behaviors without having to feel like you're testing your own leadership by asking the dog, who might then refuse, blow you off for what you've asked them to do. There's none of that. You didn't ask for anything. How can the dog be wrong? So then when clients mm-hmm. go, but wait, I want to be able to ask my dog to do things. I know, me too. We'll get there. We're not starting mm-hmm. there. We'll yeah. get there. Yeah. I'm with you. Let's not start there. Let's just build a repertoire of better and better behavior day by day because you're capturing that behavior. Mm-hmm. We don't tell people enough about the power of capturing behavior that you don't have a command or a cue for yet. I don't know. I think that it turns it into a fun game. Then people are like, wait, wait, wait. Did you just, did you just click the dog for sneezing and for lying on the dog bed? Like in a, like I watched you and in the same minute of time, you click something goofy and something super serious. I'm like, I know that's the freedom of seeing, marking and reinforcing anything you want to see more of mm-hmm. do it. I don't care if it's because it's silly or it's useful or it's obedient. So I always ask families, like, find at least three behaviors. Um, I just had a new client where the dog's behavior is, oh, my gosh, driving everyone crazy. It drove me crazy in the first hour in my office. I got to tell you, young golden retriever, that is, it's a lot. It's a handful. So I'm like, let's just get the family to agree on three things this dog does that isn't driving you crazy. Or maybe five things in a dog that you start to then pick those behaviors out. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think people are relieved. They're like, well, this is great. But there's grief that comes with it. Because if you say, wait, Mm -hmm. this might work. What have I been doing for the last 20 years, 10 dogs, whatever. Like, this isn't how Mm -hmm. I've been doing it. I know. But we only have like two choices about this sort of new learning that's freeing. We can embrace it and go, I did the best I could in the past. And I grieved some of the bad training I did. I'm talking for myself here. I'm not talking for my clients. I'm talking to me. Same. Like, Mm -hmm. I look back and go, oh, I wish. I wish I had those dogs Mm -hmm. back to do it differently. Um, but, but I'm embracing the new learning that I do through talking to you and learning from you and your writing and, and all my colleagues. That's the only choice I have is to take it and yeah. run with it and spread it. But I got to tell you, I got to hear some people's grief because I just had a client come to me. Actually, it's the Golden Retriever client. They had signed up for two series of classes with a local training school. So it's a busy family, very busy family. And they have paid for two series of classes with 
I would say, pretty antiquated training. Um, and the dog came um, to me wearing a very tight, very um, narrow prong collar that it wears um, mm-hmm. 24-7. Um, and so part of the wow. reason I think the dog is anxious, it's actually being hurt continually. It's actually, it's not even fitted correctly. But but here's the here's the grief that this um, pet parent has in my office. Um, they invested time, money, and energy in doing some good learning, right? They said we went to the local pet training school. And I'm mm-hmm. going to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you some other suggestions. I think this dog is anxious because of the punitive training that you're doing, but let's mm-hmm. grieve together. Oh, such a waste, right? So I just feel like I'm in that same boat. Like, mm -hmm, I've made some poor choices in the past because I didn't have enough information, but let's keep learning together. Yeah. I mean, I think a valid validating their, their grief around that. And, and, you know, I, I will also share experiences that I've done either with Sully or that I've done with clients or shelter dogs or whatever. Like, I mean, I'm still learning every day. I mean, even, even rewriting my book, going back in through it and going, Oh God, did I really write that? Oh my gosh. Right. It's so, I mean, but um, you know, Brene Brown always talks about it, right. That like, we're on the battlefield, like we're, 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 we're doing it. Right. So I think it's, it is really important to be vulnerable and, and share that experience with the pet parent. And I, and I feel like, you know, when they hear that you're, you're, they're not alone and that even us as professionals make mistakes. I mean, I've, I've, I've received that feedback from people, uh, my whole life being like, thank you for not being perfect, even though I strive, even though my ego strives to be mm-hmm. perfect. But, um, you know, thank you for sharing that you are not perfect because it gives me permission to not be perfect either. And so I think it's, yeah, it's such a great topic in terms of, you know, g- validating those pet parents when they're feeling that way. My so. favorite presentations from colleagues always include honest videos where they're making mistakes in their training. Yeah. Perfect polished training videos. They paralyze me. They're not my videos ever, but you know, when I see uh-huh. perfection, it just makes me go, I should be a barista. I mean, because I can't be that perfect. Yeah. The cool <laughs> news is you don't need to be right. So yeah. I, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Humility. I, I never mean, have I, a problem with finding errors in my own training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So how have you seen, well, and I, and I, I believe that you've, you've, you've talked about this, um, so far, but how have you seen this concept impact the lives of pet parents and their canines? Like what is, you know, some feedback that pet parents have come and said like, wow, like I'm noticing all the good choices he's making. Like what, what do they come back and tell you that sort of lights you up? One of my favorite things, and this just happened is people saying, um, So when I talk to them about like 50 repetitions of seeing, marking, and reinforcing uh, a good behavior in your learner every day, at first people are like, did you say 50 or 15? I'm like, no, 50. But I have a chihuahua. I know those little pieces of food are going to be itsy bitsy. Like we'll figure that all out. But once they get over the sort of how often am I? It's a little bit like, you know, walking 10,000 steps a day. If that were your starter goal and you're a couch potato, you're out, right? You're like, I can't do 10,000 steps a day. I'll just not walk. So it's not that it has to be 50. Start with five, but we're going to work our way up to 50 because it's actually totally doable. So when families come back to me and they say, you know, we thought that 50 was crazy, but here's what we figured out. We figured out that since there's four of us family members, like each of us only has to do like a dozen a day. So we've split up the mm-hmm. work. I'm like, genius. Or genius. someone just said to me, you know, 50 at once sounds like a lot, 
But what I've done is I've taken like 10 dog treats and I put them in tiny little paper Dixie cups. And I put those Dixie cups around my house in a way. I'm going to run into the Dixie cup when I open my makeup drawer to get ready in the morning or, you know, go to my mm-hmm. computer and answer email. I run into the full Dixie cup and it reminds me, oh, look for 10 reinforceable behaviors. Do 10 repetitions of a behavior the dog already knows, practice some tricks or some targeting or whatever. And then it doesn't feel so onerous because it's spread throughout my day. Those people are actually saying something very profound, which is how am I integrating this new habit you're actually asking me to create Mm -hmm. frequent reinforce, meaningful reinforcement of this dog for decent behaviors. How am I integrating it into the habits I've already developed as an adult human? We don't create new habits out of whole cloth. We attach new little behavior bits to change. We've already got to rituals. We already do. We're kind Mm -hmm. of a habitual species. So without my even saying that to them, they'd said, you know what? If every morning or every evening, you know what, my teenager wants to help with this training, you know, she's 13 and what she she's taken on is she's refilling the Dixie cups. So she puts the 10 treats every evening and that's ready for the next day. That sounds small, but that's genius to be yeah. able to say, I'm running into a way that I'm reminded to do 10 repetitions of noticing behavior. It's not the only way to get the 50 reps in, but that kind of epiphany that families have, like we could share it. I have to tell you once that, um, remember the case now, this was actually funny. As you see clients too, and you know, sometimes cases just stick in your head. Years mm-hmm. ago, a family called me and said, we have two English Mastiffs um, and we want to um, get a foster child. So we've applied to the foster agency and we want to get our first foster child placement. And the agency is concerned because the dogs are so big. And these dogs at the front door, they just low growled. They don't have a bite history, but they are not presenting well at the front door at all. I'm just telling you. So when I go mm-hmm. into the house and I meet them, I'm like, they're really gigantic dogs and I get why the foster agency isn't so happy. Anyway, here's what the family realized after talking to me. They're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Could we just take um, their kibble? Now, you and I aren't going to get into here what we're using as a reinforcer. And very often I'm mm-hmm. going to want something a little more interesting than kibble. But, but yeah. for this family, it was, yeah. can we just take the dog's kibble, which is prodigious, they're big dogs, put it in a big bowl in the middle of the giant granite kitchen island. So it's a lovely house. They've got a big island. Can we just pour their daily rations into that big bowl? And then mm-hmm. what happens is when family members just happen to walk through the open plan kitchen all the time, they really can just grab a handful and do a little bit of repetitions of something with the dog or sit down and watch the dog for a couple of minutes and pitch food. Like, can we just do it on the fly? Cause the food is just there. I'm like, yeah. Um, like that's genius. That was it. Yeah. They honestly needed nothing else than to practice calling the dogs away from that front door really often and getting some better attitude about people passing by the front of this urban rural house where there weren't a lot of passers by. The dog's temperament was fine. This wasn't hiding anything that was a danger to the foster child. I think I just love that their solution was like, wait, nothing more complicated than putting in a food in a place. We will yeah. run into it and be able to do what you're asking. Genius, lovely solution. Mm-hmm actually using really good science to facilitate no conversation about deference or, you know, um, politeness or yeah. Yeah. Nothing in life is free. 
I love, and I love how simple it, like, I mean, the concept, like you're saying, it is rooted in good science, but the concept's really simple. And I don't, I don't, I rarely get pushback about it. I mean, everyone's like, oh, well, that's super easy. Especially if you have a family, the kids are like all pumped about it. They get, they get their seven treats. They get, you know, and, and everybody is so excited about it. And you're like, you're basically saying, find all the moments your dog is so great. Right. And, and and it's funny. And I, I, I feel so bad for Scott, my partner, but, um, I, I try to do this with him. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, if I'm getting really grippy about like, if I'm, if I'm frustrated, like he never does this Mm -hmm. or he always does this or whatever. I'm like, what's the opposite of that? How can I find it? Smart times 50 throughout the day. I don't actually click and treat him. But just just internally, like what we were talking about in the beginning of this podcast, it, I just feel way better because it's 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 starting a, a new narrative. Like like you were saying, it's a, it's a different story that like, oh, wow, he doesn't always do that. He's actually doing the opposite of that right now. And I missed it because I was gripping onto, you know, whatever, whatever the negativity was. Right. And so I I, I love this because I, I really feel like um and I wind up sharing that with my pet parents. Like I'll, I'll, I'll say stuff like, you know, I do this with my dog a spe- or I do this with my partner or my colleague or whomever. If I'm really starting to feel like very resistant and, you know, I just sort of find that positivity and they're like, wow, like in those moments, they're just like, oh, wow. Like this, this, this is really cool. And this is really fun. It's genius. So, that brings so hang on a that. second. You reminded uh, yeah, me so, of a book. So, I'm throwing okay. out a book out there. Uh, which I haven't thought of in a while, but um, The Invisible Gorilla is a great book about perception. Um, And it calls out to, you know, one of the most famous science studies ever. Anyway, The Invisible Gorilla, it's worth looking at the website and the book. And their authors are- Yeah, I'm going to link to it. Slipping out of my head right now. Anyway, um, but one of the best lines in there is they're, they're, they're studying how our perceptions confuse us, right? Like we- we think we see what's in front mm-hmm. of us. No, no, no. So the, the tagline that I remember most from that book is, um, you can only see what you expect to see. You cannot mm-hmm. see something you don't expect. Your brain can't, it can't work. So when you say, I have a stubborn partner or dog, you literally <laughs> cannot see the times they're being cooperative and responsive. Your brain has blocked it out. Yeah. So it's, it's this very elegant way our brains filter information so that you actually are changing. I think smart helps you change what you're perceiving. You're scanning for instances of behavior that probably mm-hmm. contradict some of those labels you and I give to everybody who's frustrating us in our life, right? It allows us to go take yeah. off the label, see what's happening in front of you, start with little bits of behavior, and we can easily kindle those little sparks of behavior into big flames of fabulous behavior. But it starts with that decision you just said, which is genius. Wait a minute. I'm feeling like you always do this annoying thing. Let me take a breath. What would be the opposite of that? Can I see little nubbins of the opposite of that? Little, little, yeah. Little approximations of that. It's, it's, so it's great. fun to realize those little approximations really grow into giant behaviors. And if you haven't done that, it seems mm-hmm. like you and I are talking like a magic fairy dust. But we know that this is the way behavior changes and it's cool and it should be fun, right? Anyway. Yeah, it is really fun. And I think, you know, that ultimately, like we were talking about earlier, my perspective about, you know, Scott and this example shifts and then then my exactly. behavior shifts and then 
it's just, yeah, it's a beautiful behavior mm-hmm. loop. So one of the last questions that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, um, what can we, I mean, we, and we just covered a, a little bit of this, but is there anything else that we as humans can take from this concept for our, our own relationships for our, so for our human relationships? And, and again, just calling back to that whole, if you can help people do this sort of experiment, I always say to people, just give it a month. You already sort of paid for the consultation with me. Just give this a try. Let's do an experiment and see if with your dog, this protocol is going to work very well. I don't know. Every dog is different. Let's just see. And you, you kind of know if they mm-hmm. give it a month, they're going to, they're going to see some cool results. And then you sort of are hoping that stuff spills over, that they've tried this laboratory experiment again for want of a better term on their dog and realize every living being is a learner and it works the same with all the humans in their life so it doesn't actually even need to be much of a different sort of procedure it's that we're we're quieter we're watching more than we're talking and commanding and insisting and explaining and all those things we verbal humans do to try to get the world to work around mm-hmm. this. The science is gonna say, be quiet for a while, observe what's happening, be selective in how you're reinforcing behavior, see how behavior shifts to accommodate to that new reinforcement schedule. And you're doing it with humans. You know, One other sort of resource I wanna call out, I wrote a little note when you and I were talking is, I'm not sure everyone's familiar in our profession with the amazing work of Dr. John Gottman. So Dr. Gottman is, uh, Mm -hmm. I think he's a professor emeritus now. I'm sure he's retired from the University of Washington. But he's studying um, humans. And he's, if if you've heard of him, you've probably heard of him because he has this astronomical success rate in predicting the chances that you are going to stay with your partner, your spouse, your significant other. Um, And the way that he can figure out 95% 95% accuracy. I mean, like astonishing. Because um, he's going to watch you mm-hmm. and your partner have a conversation over something difficult for 15 minutes. He and his students are going to do an ethogram on how you and your partner have a discussion that's a little bit confrontational. And he's going to code how it is you're talking to each other. And what's amazing about that is he's going to call out the essential piece of a relationship that has to do with emotional bids. So if I make an emotional bid to you, my friend Marissa, I need something from you. So I'm going to express that need. I'm going to be a little vulnerable and I'm going to express to be a very, very small need. Your response to my, hello, I have a need. Um, I, I, I need to fix my earphones right now. Can we take a little break in the podcast right here? I need something from you. Whether you respond to it or you shun it or you, you contradict it, you, you, that difference between, yep, you, nice response to it, you turn away from my response, or you are negative, you criticize my response. He's going to go on to talk mm-hmm. about that response to emotional bids is everything. Back to nothing in life is free protocols. Big piece of it is shunning. Meaning, when you ask the dog to sit and they don't, we left out the whole part where you go, well, then you turn away from the dog and they don't get the food or the petting or the love or the open door or whatever they need. That we would ever consider shunning to be a benign kind of punishment in a relationship, Mm -hmm. we all, every mental health professional in the world goes, don't even 
look at any social creature and say that that isn't going to do long-term damage. So that idea of paying attention to emotional bids in the humans in our life has come out for me in this sort of, I never want someone to express a need that might be inconvenient for me and I can't even accommodate, but I want to be able to go, oh my gosh, I'm recognizing your need. That's where you and I are going to connect. That wisdom of Dr. Gottman and all his research, very accessible online if you were to look at his name. He's also written several books. But that idea of emotional bids as being the way we facilitate our bond in our relationship, people need to know this. I think they've gotten some really bum advice that we're going to get the upper hand in a relationship, not being taken advantage of mm-hmm. if we make sure yeah. we don't respond to anybody's needs and we're really ready to shun them if they don't do what we ask. I'm just saying, we look around our world and our families yeah. and we go, where are all these broken relationships coming from? And we dog trainers would say, we have some suggestions. They're coming from, we don't routinely find the gift and the joy of fulfilling each other's needs. That creates connection. So this idea of plenty in life is free hinges on reciprocal reinforcement. I reinforce the dog frequently and their ever improving behavior reinforces me. We're both happy. We both get our needs met because no one's on top in this relationship. We take turns being on top. First, it's my turn to reinforce smudge my dog for some behavior I really like. And then his behavioral improvement is reinforcing my needs for control and cooperation and all those things. It's that which creates the bond more than we've alluded to in sort of our other paradigms for how you and I, Marissa, are not going to be getting taken advantage of in this big, mean world. Hey, we all have needs. And to be able to meet each other's needs in the same way with boundaries, of course, we don't have boundaries. I don't know. I think it's a recipe for some hopeful hopefulness in our relationships. Yeah, the way that you state it all is just... Just so amazing, Kathy. So thank you for bringing John Gottman in and and all all of his research because that's that's an amazing resource Great. and we will link to that in the show notes. So anything else you'd like to say? No, it's just fun talking to you. We could do this like all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was so great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm honored. I'm honored to be here. And you make doing a podcast easy for those of us that are not so fluent at that behavior. So I appreciate you being such oh, a great host. thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we are, we are very, um, we love this podcast and we are so grateful to all of our listeners. We've had, everyone has just been so supportive. And so we, I know that they are going to be thrilled to have an episode well, with thank you. Thank you for so, making it fun. Thank You're you welcome. so much. Yeah. So we appreciate your support and wisdom and where can folks find you online. Easiest place probably is my website. And that's my name, kathysideo.com. You'll find a seminar schedule and some articles and some other resources. And you can take a look at ordering my book from there as well. Yeah. Great. So I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and you can find me online at pauseandreward.com. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at our website at canineconvos.com, and you can also contact us there as well. We would love to hear from you. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk and lastly our logo is from Walker Hooper have a great day guys 